Good morning, everyone. Good morning. Great. So I'm having a good look around now because sitting there I couldn't see who was in. <laughs> nice to see you all. Um, there's a story told that is, uh, has some truth to it, uh, that uh, a lady, a woman um, in India was quite concerned about her young son as he was growing up for his... Uh, what became like an addiction to sugar. He just wanted sugar on everything. No matter what the food was eating, sugar was going all over it. She tried her best, tried all the tricks that a mum has to get her son off this idea that everything had to have sugar in it. And she said, if, if only someone with a bit more clout could tell him, perhaps he'd take notice. The person with the biggest clout in India at the time was, uh, was Gandhi. She thought, if only he could meet Gandhi, Gandhi would tell him, uh, you know, stop eating sugar. But don't have so much sugar on your food. And a, a chance came. She was able to meet Gandhi with her son, and she took her young son to Gandhi and said, Gandhi, would you please tell my son to stop eating so much sugar? It's so bad for him. <laughs> please tell him to stop eating so much sugar. And Gandhi looked at him and paused for a moment and said, come back in two weeks to this place. Come back in two weeks. We'll talk then. Puzzled, she went away and thought, well, at least Gandhi is coming up with some kind of scheme to help her son. And she comes back two weeks later, pushes through the crowds, sees Gandhi. Gandhi sees her, recognizes, yes, yes, absolutely. Looks at her son and says, you need to stop having as much sugar on your food. Stop eating sugar. And that was it. The lady thanked him, thank you, thank you so much. And just before she walked away, she turned to Gandhi and said, um, excuse me, sir, but could you not have just said that two weeks ago? He looked at her and said, no, two weeks ago, I was also eating too much sugar. <laughs> <laughs> he realised that he could not tell somebody to stop doing something if he was also doing it that he needed to live an example. May, that story may have been embellished over time, but it has its grounding in truth. So we're going to continue with our series, For the Glory. And our verse of the year, uh, which you can see up there, it's on your pews as well, I think. If you haven't taken one home, do take it home. Uh, the verse of the year is something that we're still journeying through together. And I just want to really encourage you to really take that seriously in your quiet times. Um, so that as a church, we're all doing the same thing, um, even when we're not together. And when we are together, we do it. And we're not going to do it all year, as Adrian said. But, you know, let's just spend this moment really, really digging into it. And what we're going to focus on today is 11.1. Um, follow my example as I follow the example of Christ. Follow my example as I follow the example of Christ. That's pretty much all we're going to look at but we're going to look at it in a way that sort of hopefully brings light and, and uses a whole load of other scriptures to sort of expand. Um, so a uh, reading today um, is, well, there's the title as well, Following the Example of Christ. If you like titles, um, then that's the title for today, Following the Example of Christ. Um, the reading that I've uh, chosen to look at in a bit more detail today is uh, John 13, 1 to 17. That's John 13, 1 to 17, and I'm, I'm going to read that now. It was just before the Passover festival. Jesus knew that the hour had come for him to leave this world and go to the Father. Having loved his own for who were in the world, he loved them to the end. The evening meal was in progress, and the devil had already prompted Judas, the son of Simon Iscariot, to betray Jesus. Jesus knew that the Father had put all things under his power 
and that he had come from God and was returning to God. So he got up from the meal, took off his outer clothing, and wrapped a towel around his waist. After that, he poured water into the basin and began to wash his disciples' feet, drying them with the towel that was wrapped around him. He came to Simon Peter and said to him, Lord, are you going to wash my feet? Jesus replied, you do not realize now what I am doing, but later you will understand. No, said Peter, you shall never wash my feet. Jesus answered, unless I wash you, you have no part with me. Then Lord Simon Peter replied, not just my feet, but my whole head and and hands and everything. Jesus answered, those who have had a bath need only to wash their feet. Their whole body is clean, and you are clean, though not every one of you. For he knew who was going to betray him, and that was why he said not everyone was clean. When he had finished washing their feet, he put on his clothes and returned to his place. Do you understand what I have done for you? He asked. Somehow I've uh, rushed ahead. I don't know how that's happened. One minute. (laughs) Do you understand what I have done for you? He asked them. Sorry about that. You call me teacher and Lord, and rightly so, for that is what I am. Now that I, your Lord and teacher, have washed your feet, you should also wash one another's feet. I have set you an example that you should do as I have done for you. Very truly, I tell you, no servant is greater than his master, nor is a messenger greater than the one who sent him. Now that you know these things, you will be blessed if you do them. Following the example of Christ is what we're looking at today. I'm sorry, but I'm not quite sure what happened there with the the reading, but we've got it all. That Jesus said, I've done this as an example for you. So we're going to look at this passage, uh, not this particular passage right now, but we're going to look at that, um, you know, follow my example as I follow the example of Christ, and we'll probably dip into this a little bit later on. But um, just coming back to our verse of the year and that whole thing there, I want to consider, you know, to what example was Paul actually following the example of Christ? To what extent was Paul actually following the example of Christ? The example of meat, because this whole passage of the, uh, the, the verse for the year comes from that question about should I eat meat sacrificed to idols or shouldn't I? And Paul um, was saying something that to all of the hearers, all of those listening to his words would have been a, a massive paradigm shift. A paradigm shift, that's when your whole world changes, when you think you thought things were a certain way. And then suddenly you realize, oh, perhaps they're not anymore. <laughs> the first time that happened to me was when I was walking down a bridge aged, I don't know, about 17 or something like that. And there was a little, little toddler coming towards me and the mother was there. And for whole, my whole life, I considered myself to be a child. I considered myself to be not an adult. Um, certainly not a man by any stretch of the imagination. My whole life had been as a child and as a teenager, and now I was growing up into sort of late teenagehood. And as, I, as this toddler started hurtling towards me on a crash course, the mother quickly called out and said, oh, mind the man. 
And I thought, excuse me? My, where is he? <laughs> Mind the man. And that was the first paradigm shift I had, where suddenly my, my world was blown apart. I thought, oh my goodness, I'm now a man. <laughs> or at least they think I'm a man. I've had plenty of paradigm shifts since then, including um, realizing that I can ride a motorcycle age 30, <laughs> um, even though my mum used to tell me I should never ride a motorcycle. Um, that was a paradigm shift. I've had plenty of spiritual paradigm shifts in my time as well, realizing that not everybody knows the stories of Jesus like I knew just because I grew up that way. So a paradigm shift is where you think the world is a certain way, and then something happens, and it blows it apart. And this is what's happening with Paul. Paul is saying... Do you know what? You've got freedom to eat this meat. You have total freedom to eat meat that's been sacrificed to to idols. However, that doesn't mean you should, because you have to bear in mind how it affects other people. And we've unpacked that a lot. But I just want to say what a paradigm shift this was. You see, the Jewish Christians had a whole set of regulations Uh, about what was clean and what was unclean and how you prepared food so it was clean and and certain foods you couldn't have. And Paul's saying, no, 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 that's, that's, you've misunderstood things. Things have changed. And those Gentiles that had come to Christ who actually used to eat the, the meat, some of them would have thought, well, we've always done it, it's okay. Others would have thought, well, we used to do that, now we shouldn't, so we were going to keep away from it. And, and Paul is saying, actually, it really doesn't matter as long as you do what you do for the glory of God, and as long as you consider each other. And this, for everyone who was hearing Paul, was a paradigm shift. So how does what he's doing there, how is his teaching about the meat, how, how is that following the example of Christ? Is this mine? I can share. We can share. We've just... I've got nothing that I think I know of. We'll find out. <laughs> Lord, please protect my... Um, use his name on there. It's, it's clean. <laughs> um, but how does Paul's take on this? You know, how is it an example? He's saying, follow my example as I follow the example of Christ. Well, in, um, uh, in Mark 7, we see an interesting passage. Uh, Jesus is... Um, being confronted by the Pharisees and the teachers of the law, and they're saying, you know, why is it that your disciples are eating without going through this ritual, ritual cleaning? They get into this big argument with Jesus, or well, I'm not sure Jesus was arguing back. They were sort of uh, hurling kind of insults at him and, and, and accusing him of doing things wrong. You know, how come that you're happy for your disciples to just eat? They've not washed their hands properly. And Jesus basically turns around and says, look, you've got it all wrong. You've heaped piles and piles and piles of regulations on top of of what God has said. You've piled heaps of extra burden on people, including these ridiculous rituals. And you follow them by the letter, but they're man-made. They are man-made rules and regulations. You need to get back to what God is saying. And it says this in Mark 7, 17, after he had left the crowd and entered the house, his disciples asked him about this, are you so dull, he asked. <laughs> Don't you see that nothing that enters a person from outside can defile him? For it doesn't go to their heart, but to their stomach and then out of the body. In saying this, Jesus declared all foods clean. So here is Jesus <laughs> telling a paradigm shift for the people at the time. These rituals, they're man-made. Actually, anything going in your body is clean. You don't have to worry about it. So Paul is following the teaching of Christ here. And Paul understood that Jesus came. uh, That was just one example of how Jesus had come to get rid of all the uh, superfluous 
rules and regulations that the Pharisees had added on to what God had said. So in, in Luke 6, where his disciples break some corn and, grain, uh, and rub the corn and then eat it because they're hungry on a Sabbath, and the, and the Pharisees point the finger and say they shouldn't be doing that. They're working on a Sabbath. And again, uh, you know, Jesus is saying, no, that's man-made rules. The Sabbath is there for the benefit of people so that they can have rest from their work. The Sabbath is there for people, not the other way around. My disciples need some sustenance. It's perfectly okay for them to have that on the Sabbath. Your rules and regulations have gone too far. And so what Jesus is doing here, there's other examples. The woman at the well, uh, the woman at the well, when she's asking about how should we worship this way or that way, you say this, we say that. What do we do? Jesus says there's a time coming where it just won't matter. You worship in spirit and in truth wherever you are. It won't matter. These rules and regulations will have come to a, uh, a conclusion. They will have served their purpose and we will continue in a new covenant. And then in the Sermon of the Mount, <laughs> when Jesus starts going through some of the rules and regulations that uh, the Pharisees didn't put as much emphasis on as perhaps they should, he's saying, look, you've been, you've been told that you shouldn't murder, but actually the spirit of the law is that you shouldn't even be angry with your brother or your sister. Being angry with your brother and sister is the same thing as actually wanting to do away with them. He says, you've been taught you should not commit adultery. But actually, that's not enough. You shouldn't even look. You shouldn't even have it in your heart. Jesus takes it further. So Paul understood two things about these things about Jesus. Paul understood that Jesus got rid of all the superfluous laws that were nothing to do with God, but they were just the, the man-made rules. He also knew that the spirit of the Lord, the spirit of the law that God had given was for the benefit of people. And he was saying, you need to take this much further. It's not just about not murdering, it's also about loving your brother and your sister. It's also about not hurting them. You see, loving your neighbor um, as yourself is so, so, so important. And, and the whole law is sort of tied up half, partly with that. You see, in Matthew 22, when Jesus is asked, what is the greatest commandment in the law? Jesus says, love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, with all your mind. This is the first and greatest commandment. And the second is like this. Love, the Lord, love your neighbor as yourself. All the law and the prophets hang on these two commandments. And Paul understood this. Paul understood that everything in the law that was from God was to do with loving God and loving our neighbor. And anything that went against that was man-made rules that had nothing to do with why God had given the law in the first place. And so it's through that lens, through that, that example of Jesus, through that teaching of Jesus, through that understanding of what Jesus is doing, that Paul is saying, I'm following Jesus' example here and saying, you don't have to worry about the meat other than how it affects other people, because you need to love your neighbor as yourself. So in all of this, Paul is acting on Jesus' concrete example. What else does this uh, show us? This passage also gives us an example of leadership. To lead is to follow. Now, 
I just need to say something at this point <laughs> before I go any further. I wanted to say at the beginning, and it slipped my mind, but it's becoming ever apparent as I talk through this. And, and that is, please, please, please listen to the Holy Spirit this morning. Listen to God's voice. Because I'm going to be saying things through the rest of this preach and have already said things that I know I've got a long way to go. Please don't hear it as me saying, I've got all of this right. There's stuff in here that, you know, has really, <laughs> really got to me, really made me think, oh, you've made so many mistakes, Mike. You've got so far to go. There's so much you need to put into practice in what you're learning here. So please understand that. Please hear that. Please pray right now, as I pause for one second, please pray right now that God will speak to you through his Holy Spirit. Father, I pray that right now, that you will speak to each individual heart here, including my own, to show us how this applies to us, so that we as a family here in Gamage will move forward together, getting to know you better and putting into practice your example. Amen. Amen. So the example of leadership to lead is to follow. Here is, uh, here is Paul saying, um, follow my example as I follow the example of Christ. Now, before you switch off at this section thinking, okay, it's fine, Mike, you don't, I don't need to hear this bit. I have no aspiration to lead. <laughs> um, a couple of things you need to know. One is Christian leadership is not defined by a title. Okay. You have all the titles in the world. You could be the Archbishop of Canterbury, <laughs> and uh, absolutely nothing to say against him <laughs> personally. I've no idea uh, where he's at with God personally. Um, but you know, you could have that title and not be leading very well, and you could be what, on the surface, appears to be the humblest of people, and yet, by following Christ, you are the one of the most effective leaders. So, Christian leadership is not defined by title. Christian leadership is expected of believers. Go into the entire world and make disciples. All of us are called to be leaders. And Christian leadership, therefore, is taught. When you, when you read through scriptures, you'll realize that you are being taught. We are being taught as believers through Jesus' words and through the apostles. We are being taught to be leaders, but not in the way the world understands leadership, but in the way that Jesus shows us as an example. See, this is a model of Christian leadership that is to follow, to imitate. Just an example of how you don't have to be, you know, you don't have a title to, to, to lead. Um, when I was a teenager, uh, I had quite a few friends, as you do. And one of my friends was really into a band called Camel. Any Camel fans here? <laughs> yeah, a bit of an obscure band. <laughs> you wouldn't find them in the top 40, that's for sure. Anyway, he was really into Camel, really loved Camel, was always playing these Camel albums and stuff like that, and sort of uh, spent a bit of time with him. Before long, I was an avid Camel band follower. <laughs> I had the T-shirt. <laughs> I went to the concerts. I had all the albums. In fact, such of a Camel follower was I uh, that when... Uh, <laughs> The, in the year where I got baptized in the Holy Spirit and God started to say, right, you need to tell everyone about Jesus, I got rid of all my camel albums because I, I, I saw them as more important, getting in the way 
my obsession with camel was getting in the way. But when I look back on that, I think, you know what, I'd never heard of camel, but I got led into it because of a friend of mine. A friend, just through their enthusiasm, led me. So we can be led by people without them necessarily having the title of leader. You know, when I teach my students to write music, to do anything in music, really, one of the fundamental techniques we use in teaching music is imitation. We say, okay, you want to, um, you know, want to become a composer and write for films? One of the courses we run is film music. You want to write for films? Then you absolutely have to listen to the music of William Walton, and you need to try and write like him, because that's what John Williams did and made a lot of money out of it. <laughs> More money than Walton ever did. Anyway, I digress. Um, but the point is, we point our, our students to those that have achieved well in the area and say, right, imitate them. Go away, discover what it is that makes them sound like that and, and do it yourself. And if you do that enough times, you begin to pick the bits that work for you and you begin to then get your own voice and then you begin to lead others. But, you know, imitation is a very, very important thing. And if my students struggle with imitating, then I'll demonstrate. I'll say, OK, have you not noticed this? Um, you know, we can learn from this um, example um, by doing it this way. And then through that demonstration. So, and this is very similar to what Paul's doing. Paul is looking at the example of Jesus and then helping those in a different context who don't perhaps know as much about uh, you know, Jesus' ministry as Paul does, helping them to see it as well. So imitate Jesus, but if you're struggling with that, then I'll, I'll help you. And I'll help you through my example in this context. So, you know, this is a model of leadership that uh, we, see, uh, we see here. Now, um, just in case we're unclear, you know, you're thinking, okay, well, is he just talking about, is Paul just talking here about the meat issue? No, he's not. And how do we know that? Because if you look through all the letters, you'll see it come up time and time again. So here we go, Ephesians 5. Follow God's example, therefore, as dearly, dearly beloved children, and walk in the way of love, just as Christ loved us, and gave up himself as a fragrant offering. Follow God's example. Philippians 3, 17. Join together in following my example, brothers and sisters. And just as you have as a model, keep your eyes on those who live as we do. For, as I've often told you before and will tell you again, even with tears, many live as enemies of the cross of Christ. He's saying, look, look at my example. Look at the example of those that believe as we do. And then Peter, 1 Peter 2, 21. To this you were called, because Christ suffered for you, leaving you an example that you should follow in his steps. And then add this to it, a couple of chapters later, 5, 2. Be shepherds of God's flock that is under your care, watching over them. Not because you must, but because you are willing and as God wants you to be. Not pursuing dishonest gain, but eager to serve, not lording it over those entrusted to you, but being examples to the flock. I could go on. Those are just a few examples. If you look through the letters, there's this consistent theme. We look to Jesus as an example, and we become an example ourselves to help others who are not as far on the journey as we are. It's a very specific model. God is the ultimate example. Even Jesus came to follow God's will. Jesus followed God's will in his life, and Jesus called others to follow setting example, and then those disciples as apostles became examples to future believers, as we should. So this shows us who we should be led by. Check the source. The friends 
that we hang out with, the people we spend time with, those who influence us, they will lead us, even if they're not leaders. Surround ourselves with people who love Jesus, who are also on that journey. And when we're considering writers and pastors and worship leaders who've become sort of uh, well-known, and it's very easy to sort of pick up things on, on, on the internet, and it sounds Christian, so perhaps it must be. Is it, really? <laughs> How do we know whether we should be following the example of these leaders, these worship leaders, these preachers, uh, these influencers? We need to check where they are getting their source from. We need to check their lives. We need to see what they say. If they're not mentioning Jesus regularly, if they're not pointing to the example of Jesus regularly, then we have to question where is the source of their leadership? Ultimately, we should all be following Jesus, who followed his Father's will. So it shows us who, who we should surround ourselves with, who we should be listening to. We should always listen to whatever is spoken from here through the lens of Scripture and our own understanding of Jesus as we're growing. It's very, very important. It also shows us how we should lead. And this is the model of Christian leadership. Number one, get to know Jesus. Uh, that, you know, that is the most important thing, that we get to know Jesus. Follow my example as I follow the example of Christ. We just need to get to know Jesus. Read his words, spend time with him. And as we're getting to know him, the next step is we begin to put into practice the things he teaches. We begin to look at his example and say, how do I apply that to my life? Jesus lived this way. He said these things. How do I apply that to my life? Whenever, uh, you know, that, there was a movement a while back. It's still going, I think. You know, what would Jesus do? <laughs> um, it had its flaws, um, but it also had, you know, a real essence of, 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 of good simplicity about it, where we consider in every decision we're making, what, what would actually Jesus do? And if we thought about it superficially, it probably wasn't very helpful. But if it pointed us to find out and think, okay, Jesus, show me, what would you do in this circumstance? Where, uh, I'm going to study your word until I can get the answer. What would you do in this circumstance? Then it was a good thing. Get to know Jesus, follow his example, and then finally, be an example to others. And <laughs> if we are following Jesus' example, we can't help but be an example to others. Um, let's look at this, Matthew 5, 14. We've already heard, it, heard that this morning. You are the light of the world. A town built on a hill cannot be hidden. Neither do people with a lamp put it under a bowl. Instead, they put it on a stand. It gives light to everyone in the house. In the same way, let your light shine before others that they may see your good deeds and glorify your Father in heaven. It's not about us and our good deeds. It's about how it glorifies God. 1 Timothy 4, 12. Let no one despise you for your youth, but set the believers an example in speech, in conduct, in love, in faith, in purity. That's how Timothy was to lead his church, by being an example. Not to tell them what to do, but to show them what to do as an example. Titus 2, verse 6, similarly, encourage the young men to be self-controlled. In everything, set them an example by doing what is good. In your teaching, show integrity, seriousness, and soundness of speech. You see, by 
Following Jesus' example, we will lead. We will lead. You see, leading is to follow. This is the Christian model. Jesus was following God. He called disciples to follow him. He continues to call disciples to follow him. And as we follow, we become examples that others can also follow. That is leadership. It's following Jesus. You see, some, <laughs> this, is, this is the Christian perspective. This is the Jesus perspective. This is what Paul is talking about. Follow my example as I follow the example of Christ. And yet some secular leaders have understood this concept as well. They've picked up on it and thought, yeah, that's a really good way of, of leading. Albert Schweitzer said, a good example has twice the value of good advice. James Baldwin said, children have never been very good at listening to their elders, but they have never failed to imitate them. Benjamin Franklin said this, a good example is the best sermon. And here's where I am very aware that my words <laughs> may differ from my example and that's why I ask you to pray partway through that God will speak to you, that you will see Jesus' as the example. And I pray that I will see that as well. The uh, pastor, John Maxwell, uh, put it this way. A leader is one who knows the way, goes the way, and shows the way. Our secular people would understand that. A leader is one who knows the way, goes the way, shows the way. Christians, we have an added depth to that. Because the way was what was referred to as Jesus. The way. So if we change that quote away, a leader is one who knows Jesus, follows Jesus, and shows others how to do the same. As we come to the last part of the sermon this morning, I want us to consider the example of Christ. So if we are to do as Paul says, follow his example as he follows the example of Christ, then we are being encouraged to look at what the example of Christ is. We could be here all day looking at the examples that Jesus led us, gave us. Every verse of the Gospels will give us an example of Jesus. Every verse of the letters will give an example of Jesus. Every preemptive prophecy about Jesus in the Old Testament will point to how Jesus is our example. So we could be here all day. I'm just going to look at three things and then we're done. The first is Jesus' example of love. And, and, and in picking the things that I've picked here, in picking the examples, I've deliberately picked things where Jesus has made it clear this is an example. There's, there can be no question. He may not have used those exact words, but he's saying, look, this is the example I'm giving you. You must do the same. Okay, so these, this isn't me saying we must do this. This is Jesus. The example of love, to love one another as I have loved you, Jesus says. John 13, 34, a new command I give you, love one another. As I have loved you, so you must love one another. By this, everyone will know that you are my disciples if you love one another. Now, this is a new commandment, yet Jesus had already explained how loving your neighbor as yourself was the second greatest commandment. 
and that that and the first one was the whole law together. But Jesus says, but here's a new commandment. So in what way was it new? It places a greater expectation in these words. Love one another as I have loved you. You see, before it was love your neighbor as you love yourself. So treat your neighbor as you'd like to be treated. Very sort of human-based. But the new thing in this commandment isn't just about loving one another anymore. It's about loving one another as Jesus has given us an example of. We are to love one another as Jesus loved us. There's a greater expectation. It's a new commandment. So we need to spend time, if we want to truly do this, if we want to follow Jesus' commandment here, the only new commandment he gave us, if we're to do that, then we need to look at, well, how did, you, how did you love us, Jesus? And Jesus loved us by spending time. He spent time. I, I've been thinking about this a lot sort of recently. That it takes time to love. If we want, if we want to love our community as Jesus loves our community... There's no shortcut. We can't do it in five minutes. We can't do it as an afterthought. We can't do it as an add-on. We have to dedicate time spent in our community loving it. We need to spend time with each other in order to truly love each other. Jesus spent time with his disciples, with people following him. Another way that Jesus loved us was that he dedicated his life to serve. He dedicated his life to serve his disciples, to serve his followers, to serve us. What have we dedicated our lives to? How do we follow this example? Ultimately, Jesus loved us by laying down his life. Not just dedicating his life, but laying it down. Another thing about this this new commandment is it's one of the few specific teachings that we have in the New Testament on how to reach others. (laughs) You see, we know we're commanded to go into all the world and preach the gospel and to baptize people and to make disciples. Great. How? How? We're told to let our light shine so that people will see uh, and, and glorify God. How? Even after the Holy Spirit, even after the Holy Spirit had given power to help do those things, Paul still picks up on love as the most perfect way to accomplish it all. This is the how. This is how we do it. This is how we make new disciples. This is how we reach the lost. This is how we do those things by loving one another. This is how everyone will know you are my disciples if you love one another. 
So all of these schemes we come up to think, okay, we'll do this program, we'll do that program, we're going to reach people this way. We'll, yeah. And some of them may be great ideas, some of them may, may be God-blessed ideas, God-ordained ideas. But as Paul said, without love, without love behind them, it's meaningless. This is how. And then the, the, the second thing is the example that we read. I don't really want to go into it, any, into it in any much, much more detail, really, because we've read that passage. We've read the passage of how Jesus' Jesus' example was to serve his disciples. He says at the end, he says, um, I've done this as an example. <coughs> I've done this as an example for you. I have set you an example that you should do as I have done. Very truly, I tell you, no servant is greater than his master, nor is a messenger greater than the one who sent him. The example of Jesus was to serve. In the most humbling way, you, you know, the, the lead up to this particular episode is really interesting. Uh, on the way, um, the, 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 some of the disciples are arguing about who's going to be the greatest in heaven. <laughs> they get to the upper room. There's no servant there. Servants would normally wash the feet. Um, they just book this room, they go into the room and, uh, and, and they're lounging around and they've already started the suppers and stuff like that and it, it, there's a real sense that they probably, you know, they haven't done the thing that they should do really, which is wash their feet. And I, I can imagine what that's like. You've been on a long walk, you, you know, you're tired, you're hungry, you're laying down, you're thinking, well, I should probably really do something about washing my feet because there aren't any servants around, but actually I, I'm, just, I'm just too tired. <laughs> I'm just too relaxed. Um, I don't want to get up and do that thing right now. <sighs> and then Jesus gets up and does it. They've just been arguing about who was the greatest. None of them had thought, maybe I should get the bowls out. But Jesus did. And he washed their feet. And that is an example. The example of love and the example of serving. I mean, they're part of the same thing, really. If we love one another, we'll serve one another. And in serving one another, we can love one another. And then finally, as I draw to a close, there's the example of the cross. And this is where I this is where I break down. In the hymnal praise this morning, we were I was up on the organ playing a few things, and one of the hymns was the old rugged cross. And I finished playing the hymn, and I'm looking at the words, and other stuff's going on down here. And I've got tears streaming down my face. I will get this under control in a minute, and we'll continue. The cross. 
Matthew 16, 22. Peter took him aside and began to rebuke him. Never, Lord. Jesus is telling his disciples what to expect, what's going to happen. Never, Lord. Never shall this happen to you. Jesus turned and said to Peter, get behind me, Satan. You are a stumbling block to me. You do not have in mind the concerns of God, but merely human concerns. And Jesus said to his disciples, whoever wants to be my disciple must deny themselves and take up their cross and follow me. For whoever wants to save their life will lose it, but whoever loses their life for me will find it. What good will it be for someone to gain the whole world yet forfeit their soul? So you take up your cross has become a little bit of a lightweight throwaway uh, comment for us today. Oh yeah, we've all got our cross to bear, you'll hear people say. You're trying to coerce someone into doing something. Oh, come on, come on, pick up your cross. It's become this throwaway thing. When Jesus referred to anyone who would follow me needs to take up his cross, it wasn't a throwaway comment. This was a comment that would throw uh, the, the, the contemporary listeners of the day into complete terror and complete revulsion. It was the most horrific way of execution. It, it, deliberately to put fear in people. And Jesus uses this, knowing what's going to happen. His disciples still didn't fully understand it, but no one, no one's, you know, Jesus is using this reference to say, look, if you're going to follow me, you need to take up your cross. Now, take up your cross. That is the image people would have known about the crucifixion. They would have known when, when, when prisoners were taken to crucifixion, whether they be martyrs or whether they be um, uh, you know, convicts uh, who've committed crimes, they would be you know, pushed through the streets, dragging their cross in agony to the place of execution where they would spend several days suffering before death. This was a, an image that Jesus was saying that would have been terrifying to the contemporary listeners. And also to, to, to the, the Jewish sensibilities at the time would have been also been um, a, a, a revulsion. It was considered a shameful, humiliating death. And so Jesus is saying here, look, this is what it means to be my disciple. How many here are seeking God's will for their life right now? Uh, you don't have to put your hands up. <laughs> it's fine. I think most of us are. But in your mind, how many of you are seeking God's will for your life? And how many of us are thinking, if I can only find God's will for my life, then things are going to be so much easier. Things are going to go, you know, things are going to, everything's going to come together. Everything's going to be perfect. I'll have a much easier life. Have we really read what's in the Bible? Jesus calls us to a life of carrying our cross. <laughs> We're almost there. It's a shocking analogy. You see, make no mistake, in this passage... Jesus is telling us that the cost of following him will be hard. On one level, it isn't. This is what's so, you know, so, so deeply interesting about the gospel. On one level, it's easy. Come to me, all you who are heavy laden, and I will give you rest. 
on one level, it's very easy. We do not have to earn our way to heaven. We do not have to strive our way into heaven. But in accepting that free gift to follow Jesus with eternal life promised, we take on a life that is going to be hard. Now, fortunately, most of us are never going to experience that level of carrying a cross. But what did it mean in contemporary uh, terms? You see, Jesus, when in the Garden of Gethsemane, just before, just hours before he was to be strung up on a cross, tortured beforehand, in, the, in, in, the, in that garden, he prayed, God, give me something else. Let's do it another way. Take away this cross. I can't bear it. I know what's going to happen. Take it away from me. And then he gets it. He realizes there is no other way. And Jesus says this, not my will. My will is to escape this. My will is to run far away from it. Not my will, but your will. And this is Christ's example. You see, he's, he's telling his disciples to take up their cross if they want to follow him. And then, uh, you know, literally hours later, he, he sets the example. He puts aside his own will. He follows his father's will and sacrifices his life for the freedom of the world. That is the example of the cross. That is the example that Jesus laid us. And how we apply that to our lives, because we're not in that, sort of, we're not in that 2,000 years ago time where you could be crucified, but we are in a time where God is saying to us, not your will, my will. That's what God is saying to us. That's what we as followers of Jesus need to do. We need to be saying, not my will, but your will, just as Jesus did. See, look, my will for my life is full of things being brilliant. <laughs> it's full of riches. <laughs> it's full of sort of success stories. It's full of people recognizing me for who I am and what I do. Selfishly, that's my will for my life. I'm sure you agree with that, uh, you know, for your own selves. I mean, who, who, who in their right mind would want hardship? Who in their right mind would want something other than things to go well for them, for success, for health? For... We need to get to a point, if we're following Jesus' example, and I, I am very, very nearly done. If we're to follow Jesus' example, and I'm pointing this finger at me, we have to truly say, I lay down my will for you. 